0: To midweek worship, I uh, hope everyone enjoyed a, a break this summer, uh, and I also hope that everyone is, is looking forward to enjoying fellowship again on Wednesday nights uh, fellowship through through meals and even through worship uh, and so um, this semester this this season on, on Wednesdays, in addition to our new covenant member meetings and, and some fall events we have going on we 'll be studying the book of Malachi together and um, And as we start another kind of year of midweek worship, and then speaking of praying for the seminaries, I just want to personally say uh, thank you for the opportunity to preach and to grow at JBC uh, as as a young preacher and as a seminary student. And uh, so I personally wanted to say thanks to you as a church and to, and to Pastor Grant and Pastor Cameron. And, uh, and we even might get to see some, some new faces through the preaching schedule this, this year on Wednesday night. And I'm just thankful for a church where equipping and training um, Christians can happen, and so I think this is good and uh, it is helpful. So the text for this evening, uh, we're going to be looking at Malachi chapter one, verses one through five. So we'll just start off with the book there, right at the beginning. You can find Malachi at the very end of the of the Old Testament. Uh, that so that's right after Zechariah, and it's it's right before Matthew, which uh, which begins the New Testament. Uh, It might actually be right before a couple like random pages in between the Testaments, but it's right at the end of the Old Testament before the New Testament begins. And uh, since... Since this is our first message and since we're starting at the very beginning of Malachi and since it's going to be taking up most of our Wednesday nights, uh, I do want to take some time to give some background information, uh, kind of introduce the book so that we have proper context of what's going on and so that with all of that information we can actually study the text and get, get into it. Uh, and so I was, I just, I think maybe a helpful way to understand this is I was thinking of of just Kind of stories and, and, and movies, TV shows, books, there's, there's all the things that you want to know what's going on to understand the story, like obviously the plot, but you need to know the setting and the scene and, and the characters, all of that. I mean, just, just imagine that famous line from, from Star Wars where Darth Vader tells Luke that he's his father. Uh, Imagine if we didn't know anything about Luke or Darth Vader. That really wouldn't mean anything to us. Imagine if we didn't even know that there was a a, a good side and a dark side. uh, If we didn't know these two sides of the force, really that line wouldn't have much bearing on us. So it's good to know uh, the the background. It's good to know the the context of what's going on. And in an attempt to do this quickly, we're just going to kind of walk through the the who, what, where, when, and why. Um, And so, um, who... Well, first off, God, uh, we can actually see that in the very beginning, Malachi one verse one, the oracle of the Word of the Lord, so we know that this is this is God speaking through his word, revealing himself to his people, and he does do that through a prophet, but namely, right, when we talk about the who of the Bible, uh, we're, we're talking about uh, God and what he, what he has done, what he is doing through his people, what he's going to do, uh, but we also know that in addition to God, he's working through this, this prophet Malachi, so another who is Malachi, and um, that one's actually pretty quick because we know nothing else about him. A lot of the other prophets, uh, especially the minor prophets, uh, they, they actually give context to who they are by, by listing some sort of uh, historical uh, reference for far as who, who's the king at that time, what, what kingdom's going on, or even referencing parents. Uh, we don't know anything about Malachi. And it's even more vague in that his name actually means, means messenger. So he really is just being used. Uh, as a messenger for the Lord and then the final who is is Israel again as it says in verse 1 this is this is to God's people so there's the who the what this is an oracle as the ESV reads other translations might say prophecy or as it as it says in verse 1 again a word of the Lord so what this is it says God's God's revelation through Malachi to his people where uh, it would seem that Malachi is writing to God's people while they are back in Jerusalem. Uh, so they are back in the land that God has given them. Um, they've actually been in that land for some time now, uh, potentially even up to, up to 100 years, but this is, and this is after a return from exile. So they're back in, in Jerusalem, back in the land that God gave his people uh, after returning from exile. Um, when, this kind of goes along with the where, like I said, this is going to be post-exile. Uh, they've returned to the land, and this is also more important context. This is after the, the rebuilding of the temple. Um, this is probably after the, the, the reestablishment even of the nation of Israel, both politically and physically. So so, the when and the where that 's really helpful because I mean the Old Testament walks through the history of this of this nation of, of Israel, the, these people of God, and so knowing where Malachi is is writing and who he 's speaking to within that timeline it 's helpful to understand what he 's actually talking about so this is still to god 's people, and it is, it is after they have been uh, they, they were exiled by God, right he sent them out because of their disobedience, they were conquered by the Babylonians, and then we walk through that history line and now. They've been sent back to, excuse me, back to the land, and the temple has been rebuilt, although uh, not as gloriously as Solomon's temple, which we'll see in just a little bit. Um, And then the why. Uh, The why is really easy to answer if you just read the entire book of Malachi, Uh, but we're not going to do that right now. Um, So, having returned from exile, being back in the promised land, having a temple again, the Jews thought all of their problems were. Were solved, right? The, the Jews, God's people, they thought they've they've hit all the boxes. We're back in the Promised Land. We're back with the temple. We're we're, we're a nation again. Um, but none of the hopeful prophecies that had been given to them either before or or especially during exile, none of them seem to have been fulfilled. There there is no restoration to this former former glory. And in fact, there is no glory at all. There's no glory for the people. They're, they're, living, they're living just really destitute. There is no glory for the nation. Yes, they, they became the nation of Israel again, uh, but they're still dependent upon, uh, upon Persia who, who released them. They're still, they really don't have any say in the, in the political powers of these, these world powers, and especially there is no glory in the temple. So there is no glory at all. It would seem that that God has actually not returned with them to the promised land. And if we zoom in to this why and we look at the whole book of Malachi, we see that, that God is actually, He's gonna call out the priests as they disobey with, with profaned and polluted offerings. God calls out the priests. For, for disobedience in function, for, for giving these offerings and sacrifices. But he also calls them out for the disobedience in, in their roles, so not just what they were doing, but even who they are as, 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 as the people of God that have been chosen, elected as these priests to lead them and to, to walk with them towards holiness. He calls them out and said they're, di- they're being disobedient in regards to that. Now, he calls out the, not just the priests, but even all of the people. Uh, they, they've engaged in idolatrous intermarriage there's been infidelity. There's been divorce. Um, God calls them out uh, near, the, uh, near the end of the book for, for robbing God, he says. They're not tithing. They're not giving how they're supposed to. And uh, basically for, for almost completely forsaking the law of Moses. Um, and so there, there's, a, there's a lot, when we look at this, why Malachi was writing to the people, there's a lot going on with the people right now. And if we zoom out, and I think this is helpful as we look at a, a theme that might be brought up in Malachi, if we zoom out, we see all of those things actually can be described in terms of covenants. And so, so God calls the mind, as we'll see this evening, the covenant that he had made with, with Jacob, the God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he made this covenant with Jacob. He also makes a covenant with Levi, and he calls this to mind as he calls out the priest. There's the, the covenant of marriage that he had given to his people, and there's the covenant with Moses through the law. And so if we zoom out, we see all of these things really come into play as we look at the different, different types of covenants that God has made with his people. And as we zoom out and we look at this why, ultimately, all of this is actually pointing to, to a new covenant that will come through that promised Messiah, Jesus. Um, and kind of a, a couple final notes. I just want to go back to the what part of that. So, so that, hopefully, that is, hopefully that is helpful. Uh, that, that provides some context, uh, and, and I'm, I'm hoping that that will even be referenced back throughout the rest of the series. It's good to know that. A couple things I'll add to the, the what portion of that overview, though, is, um, is one is, is form, the form of of Malachi. And so you'll notice uh, there's a great example, really, as soon as we start our passage this evening, and it's used throughout the book of Malachi, that he uses uh, rhetorical questions or dialogues or disputations, some people say, to to move the oracle or this prophecy through the different themes or or, or the problems or even the promises that are emphasized. And so we'll see an example of that in just a little bit, but there's these questions that are asked um, sometimes by God, sometimes by the people, and Malachi kind of Uses these rhetorical questions to explain what's going on and to give the word of the Lord to the people, uh, and, and that's actually why uh, we, when we're thinking about this this series, um, we we kind of came up with this this title of, uh, for the series of, of arguing with God. Uh, God seems to ask these questions or make these statements, and then the people they come back and they say, "Well, really." Really, God? So they're they're just like trying to push back. They're trying to argue with God and who he says he is and what he said uh, that he has done. So, so that, that's gonna be helpful as we look again through the entire book of Malachi. And then the final thing that I just wanted to point out is that there, there actually is, not just in form as we walk through it, but there's the, in structure of the whole book of Malachi, uh, there's over, really kind of an overall sort of symmetrical or parallel structure. And the reason I think this is important Uh, is because uh, by looking at these parallels and walking back and forth between the beginning and the end of the book, I think it it provides an emphasis on, on one of the main messages that Malachi is trying to proclaim to his people. Uh, and so, for example, the, the passage tonight uh, talk, mentions Israel, and he talks a lot about um, Edom, the, the, these opposing people of God, and how the, they seem to be doing better, and, but God knows that judgment is coming for them. And then right at the very end of Malachi, 3.17 through four three, he brings that up again. And he says, he says uh, you know, we, we, you, we, it seems as if the arrogant are blessed and the wicked are prospering. But God says no judgment is coming for them. And so we can walk back and forth. And all of that uh, comes to near the middle of the book where we see God bring up, in Malachi, through Malachi, bring up the, this topic of the covenant of marriage which I think is important, and it seems that the people are disobeying in that. But when we think of marriage, especially in the Old Testament, we not only think of physical marriage between a man and a woman, but we also think about how God describes his covenant with his people as a marriage. These are his people. This is his bride. This even continues in the New Testament. might be more familiar with it there. And, and how uh, the people have broken that covenant. And right next to that, what do we see? We see Malachi promise the messenger. Not him, he is a messenger, but he promises the messenger. One is coming who will proclaim the way of the Lord, and one is coming who, who is the Lord, who will bring about that restoration, who, who will bring about that glory of God to come again to his people. So, so I think if we walk through all of that, we kind of see some of that parallel, and I think it helps us focus on Malachi uh, pointing forward to the New Testament and pointing forward to Jesus. Um, so, I think that's helpful. Uh, Do you need to know that information? Technically, no. You can pick up your Bible and you can read Malachi. Do, Do you need to know my wife Laura in order to be friends with me? Hopefully, not. But is friendship with me so much better if you know Laura? Absolutely. Okay? So, similarly, here, I hope that you don't need to know some of the background information. But reading and understanding not just Malachi, but the entire revealed word of God is so much more beautiful and glorious when we know who, who he is. Especially when we think about history and, and, and the way he has used words. This is not just the God who has revealed himself. This is the creator of everything. He was over all of the history that we just went over. And he, he created the language that he used to give to his people. So, I hope that was helpful. But I hope what is following is more helpful as we actually dive into the text right now. So, Malachi 1, starting in verse 1, and I will read through verse 5. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. In verse 5, Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Just pray real quick over this text. God, we thank you again for for who you are and how you have revealed these things to us. And I I pray that, that your spirit would move, that as your word goes forth, Father, as you have promised, it would not return void. And so we pray for your words this evening. In Jesus' name. So one of my favorite things about the Bible is that it consistently teaches it is not about you. Uh, And I think that is crucial to understand. Sometimes that can be challenging uh, because because we we can easily be self-centered people. And sometimes it can actually be a relief to know that that, all of that weight is not on us. And I think it's important to know that it it is not about you. And so uh, as, we, as we look at this passage this evening, I want to call to mind uh, God God's covenant love for his people, this, this, this elect love that he has for his people, and how in not just in that for his people, but he is sovereign over all. So God saves and God is sovereign. That's what I'm going to look at this evening. And so let's just walk through uh, the text and... Um, And see how Malachi is is pointing these things out through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And and what a way to start the the prophecy. I have loved you, says the Lord. Even though it is not about us, how awesome and and beautiful is it that this God of the universe has, has chosen a people to love. That, that he, he, has, he has covenanted with a particular people that he wants to, to be with and he is working for. I have loved you, says the Lord. And so as it is not about us, I hope that causes us to, to, to worship and to praise all the more. Because as it's not about us, that God has chosen to act in us and, and through us. I have loved you, says the Lord. But then we get into this this pattern that Malachi is giving us. But you say, how have you loved us? And really, I, I just don't understand how they're asking that question. Uh, now, technically, just reading verses 1 through 5, we don't, we don't know yet, but as we have as looked at the entire book, I don't understand how the people who have returned from exile, a, a, promised pe- a chosen people have returned from exile to a promised land that they did nothing about, and, but, but they are being idolatrous, and they are not obeying the law, and they are not giving offerings the way that they should, how that people can ask, how have you loved us? But don't we do the same? How often, right, do we, oh, God, we just pray that you would just, just bless us uh, during this time. God, please be with us during this time. And aside from obeying the word, we don't even want to read the word. How often do we want to ask the question, how have you loved us, God? I didn't even ask for that many things. Yet all the while, we just, we just ignore him. We, we, we keep him off to the side and so we need him center stage, and then we try to bring him back. But, again, isn't it great that it doesn't start with how have you loved us? It starts with God saying, I have loved you. And, and then, God, this is great, he answers the question with a question that's usually really annoying. He says at the end of verse, uh, the end of verse 2, is not Esau Jacob's brother? Sorry, God, maybe you didn't hear the question, how have you loved us? Right, so, so that might seem like it makes no, no sense to us. Like, uh, God, I don't think you quite understood what I was trying to ask. No, that, that is awesome. Is not Esau Jacob's brother? What does he mean by that? Declares the Lord, and then, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated so again, perhaps some more context is important here. We know uh, Jacob and Esau are historical figures that we learn about in the book of Genesis all the way back at the beginning. I've referenced earlier Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so God, uh, God, God chooses to, to, to call his people, and he starts with Abraham, and, and God calls Abraham to himself. And then God makes the covenant with Abraham that... Um, and that he is going to be the God of Abraham and all of his descendants. And they shall be his people. And that through them, the, the, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then through Abraham, we have Isaac's son. And even there, we actually see a small picture. Remember, there was technically Isaac and Ishmael. But God chose Isaac and he continues the covenant there. And then through Isaac, we have Jacob and Esau. Now, the difference between Isaac and Ishmael is that uh, Jacob and Esau are both legitimate sons of Isaac and Rebekah. Okay, so, so Ishmael was, was, uh, was, uh, was a plan of man, was, was trying to take God's plan into, into our own hands. But, but Jacob and Esau are both from Isaac and from Rebekah, and they are twins, okay? So there's, they're, they're literally, literally the, the exact same, but what do we see God do? Yet I have loved Jacob, and Esau I have hated. So we learn that in, in, uh, in the book of Genesis, um, and there's an, the there's an entire account through that. And we even see how that plays out, not just with God's choosing, but even with the, the actions of, of Jacob and Esau and how Esau sells his birthright. Um, but, uh, but Paul gives us a little bit more uh, commentary on that in the book of Romans. And so in Romans, Romans 9... Remember, Paul is writing in the church in Rome. This, this is a mixed audience of Jews and Gentiles, and he has, he has, he has talked about how the Jews were God's people and, and, and how there's been disobedience there, and now he's talking about how the Gentiles are being grafted in and God has called all people to himself. Uh, the very beginning, Paul starts with, you know, the... The the power of salvation is for all Jews and Gentiles. And so, in all of this, and he gives an example of this in Romans 9 when he's talking about God calling all people to himself. And so, in Romans 9, uh, verses 10 through 13, and not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works. Because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, and Paul quotes Malachi, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. And so we see that, this is, that God has, has called his people, he, and, he has, and he has chosen this people. And um, when we think about these words, uh, love and hate, these are very emotional words for us. It's really easy for us to, uh, to see how, uh, how love is like an affection, and how hate, we honestly kind of bristle that word, especially when God just said he hated somebody, and not just one person, but it's reflective for their entire people group. But I think what's important here is we're talking about God's covenant love. So when God says, uh, Jacob, I have, I have loved, I don't think he just means some sort of affection that he had towards Jacob, but rather it is, it is, a, it is a choosing. It is, it is a... Um, It is a choice, this election that he has for that people. And when he says, "I have hated Esau," I don't think that means any sort of animosity towards him, but rather it is a rejection. Right? He is not included in that covenant. And uh, and so so we see God explain His love through through Jacob and Esau. And again, it's not just through Jacob and Esau as two individuals, but as they are representatives of, an, of entire people groups. Because we know that the covenant continues through Abraham's line, through Isaac's line, through, through Jacob's line, and on down. That's where we get the people of Israel from in the Old Testament. So, so God has chosen this people. And his love for them is that he, he, he chose Jacob. And then this is what's really interesting. God's explanation of his love is not even about Israel. His explanation for his love is his, the rest of their passage. He talks about Edom or, or Esau. So, uh, so verse 3, but Esau I have hated. And then, and then we get his description of Esau and Edom in order to explain the love for Israel. So let's look at these verses. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. They will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. And again, this is where I think context, context excuse me, comes into play because if we think about where Israel is and where they have come from, God's explanation and description of Esau and Edom or in some ways an encouragement to them, because the people of Israel have been saying, they've been thriving, they've been prospering, and what have we been doing? Right? We were in exile. And I think what this will, this will, this will help us understand, uh, Jeremiah, who's often uh, called, called the weeping prophet, uh, prophesying to this people in exile, uh, and, uh, and, and calling to, to repentance, but then therefore also needing to, to explain this, this judgment of God that will come, even on his own people. Look at what Jeremiah says in chapter 9, verses 11, to the people of Israel. I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a lair of jackals, and I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitants. That's what Jeremiah prophesied to God's people. But what do we see going to happen now? Now God is saying, now this is going to happen to Edom. Right? You were in exile, but you have been brought back. You want to know how I, how I love you, how I have chosen you? Because look at what's going to happen to the wicked. Look at what's going to happen to your enemies. Look at what's going to happen to those who oppress you. God's 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 elect love, this saving love that He has for us, it, he, here He shows it through who He is as a just and righteous God against the wicked. And again, this just points to back to the beginning where God says, "I have loved you." This is this is nothing that you have done. We, we've, we've seen, even just briefly an overview, of the disobedience of God's people. So God's elect love has, is, is purely because of, of his, his mercy and his grace and his choosing for them. And what we see that he is just and he is righteous in how he condemns and judges the wicked. So, so God actually rebukes his people they ask, "How have you loved us?" God rebukes his people, and then he causes them he calls them, not after rebuke, to, to remember. In rebuke, he, causes, he calls them to, to remember who He is as God. and he is a God that has chosen His people. And this brings me to the, the book of Ephesians. In chapter 1, a glorious passage about, about a God who saves. We sing a song about it that is, that is based off of and practically quotes much of Ephesians 1. And this is what he says in, in Ephesians 1 verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of of his will. Just as we saw a pattern in all of the Old Testament and just as God reminds his people here tonight, he is a God who loves his people as he has called them and as he has, he has chosen them. Peter says that, that we are a, a chosen people. And so God is, a, God is one who, who saves by choosing his people and ultimately we see this in this grand big picture of Christ. That in, in love he chose us through Jesus Christ. In Christ we have been saved. In Christ we see the ultimate picture of God's love for his people. And that he came to, to be this, this God man and to be the perfect man to die on the cross for our sins and in our place. God's choosing love is, is, is ultimately shown in Christ. And how in Christ he has, he, has, he has dealt with this problem of sin. Not by forgetting it, but by pouring out his wrath, a just wrath on sin. As, as disobedient people, we deserve that. And he pours that out on Christ so that we might be saved in him. We might be chosen in Christ. Because of who God is. Not because of what we have done, but in god's calling and in god's choosing there is, there, there is also there is also a response just as we are just as we are called by God, we're also called to to believe, to have faith in that Christ, and we even see in verse five. Your own eyes shall see this, shall see the judgment of Edom, Esau, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Israel also, God prophesies, is going to see this and they are going to respond in faith that great is the Lord. He is just and he has opposed those who opposed us. And he has called us back to himself. And we are his chosen people. And great is the Lord because he is just and because he is loving. He is is merciful to us because according to his mercy and according to his grace, for his glory. And we see in that that not only does God save, but God is also sovereign. He doesn't just deal with the people of Israel. Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Verse 5. God saves and God is sovereign over all. He is in control of all things. And that is a theme that is really throughout most of the minor prophets. Excuse me. I think throughout most of the minor prophets that that uh, that then this time of, of of exile and attempted return and lack of a temple that God is in control through all of it. God is sovereign over all, and He uses all of these things for His glory and His people's good. God, there there seemed to be punishment, and there was for disobedience as. As Babylon uh, uh, took over, sacked Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, took the people off to exile. But then what happens is that, is that eventually Persia takes over, and God uses this entire world power of Persia to send his people back. He was in control the whole time. And then what happens is that God, God sends his people back and he, and he calls them together, and they rebuild Jerusalem. They rebuild the temple. He, they, they are called to remember the book of Moses, remember the law of Moses. And all of this comes together as it points forward to the ultimate fulfillment of, of the entire Old Testament. That Christ is coming. Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. He brings it all back so that it can point forward to the fulfillment of these prophecies that Jesus is coming. And that Jesus saves, and it's it's incredible. Malachi is at the end of, end of the Old Testament, and he points forward, and there's there's specific examples of uh, of, of Malachi pointing forward to John the Baptist uh, in particular, but pointing forward to this this messenger who will come to reclaim this way. And all of this comes together so that so that Jesus may be magnified, and that in Christ we see God saving. And in Christ, we see that God is sovereign because through Christ, there's salvation for all. Not just uh, God's people, uh, uh, a, a, a political or ethnic people of Israel, but for all. And God has called his people together. And so, so friends, as we think about this, I, I, I ask that you would, you would praise God for your salvation because you have done nothing for it, that you would praise God for your salvation. Just as you, just as you praise God for the breath in your lungs, a physical life, praise Him for that spiritual life that you have, a salvation for eternity. And then as we know that God is a God who saves in over all things, not only praise Him for your salvation, but pray for others' salvation. He's a God who saves. A God who saves. Which means those around you who are lost, who who, who are who are disobedient, who are wicked, or who need hope, God is a God who saves. So pray for that salvation, but he's also sovereign. So, so act on that and be obedient to tell others about Jesus. This, this idea of God's salvation and God's sovereignty can seem, can seem very kind of in the clouds, even, even heady. But this is the truth of God that he's revealed to us in his word, which means that should be in our hearts and from our hearts that goes out into our hands. And so that's what I want to call you to tonight, to, to action as a God who is sovereign over all things. He has called you to do something. And so go proclaim the salvation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ. We thank you that, uh, that you are a God who saves. To the praise of your glorious grace. And I pray, Father, that we would be caused, we, we, we would be just affected and want to praise you, to worship you. Father, may your spirit move as, it is, as, as your word has been proclaimed, that, that, that in all we do, especially now in, through, through, our, through our mouths, Father, but in all that we do, that you would be worshipped because of who you are, as a God who saves. And I pray, Father, that as we see that it is not about us, because there's nothing that we have done for that salvation, there is no, there's no work of ours that is part of that salvation, uh, Father, that, that it would cause praise for you, and that in doing that, we would rest in your sovereignty and 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 act and by your grace obey, because we know that you are in control. And God, I I, uh, I, I pray tonight for those who who are here who who might not be saved as we say, who might not be born again. Uh, Father, I pray that your Spirit would move, uh, and that they would they would they would be called to repentance of their sin and to believe in Jesus. And Father, we ask that you would save them. Save them in Jesus' name.